Tonight, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12 if you want to. Tonight, tonight we're, uh, continuing, we're continuing our series about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to continue sort of where we left off last week in our teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. So, as I said, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We, we kind of went through the first part of that chapter last week where Paul was making a distinction between the way that pagans worship and the way the gifts of the Spirit function. Because pagans worship, <clears throat> excuse me, they worship by trying to rev themselves up into a fever pitch, trying to be swept away and caught up to their gods, trying to, to, to push themselves into the supernatural realm to somehow receive something from their god or their gods in the supernatural realm, only to come back into the natural realm and deliver it. That's kind of how they think. And Paul <clears throat> makes a point that that's just not the way the gifts of the Spirit work. We don't access the supernatural, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't access the supernatural through excess or through human efforts. The Holy Spirit actually accesses the natural realm through His divine power. He's the one who reaches down to us. It's not us trying to get ourselves revved up and get ourselves into a certain uh, fever pitch where we, where we can somehow reach up and grab the Holy Spirit and get something a hold of Him. He's the one who comes to us, and He's the one who initiates it. And so we talked about that, and then, then, the, then He lists some of the gifts of the Spirit, framing it in this way, and uh, saying that when, whatever gifts of the Spirit operate of us, in us, and, and through us, that they're all given and distributed by the, the same Holy Spirit. Now, that, that's important for us to know but it was, we need to understand it was really vital to, to those, who were, those people that he was writing to who were former pagans who, who have come into the Christian community because he's, he's trying to contrast their former beliefs uh, with, with what it means to follow Christ. And he's saying to them, in essence, he's saying, listen, there's not a spirit of this and a spirit of that, you know, spirit of the river, and the spirit of the harvest, the spirit of the sun, all of these things, uh, because that, that kind of spiritism is the essence of paganism, but he says there's one Holy Spirit. There's just one Holy Spirit, and he distributes the gifts individually as he wills. Then we we just sort of just barely began to talk about the gifts of the Spirit as, as they're listed here and, and, and in other places. We talked about other lists, for example. We talked about Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about gifted people that are a gift to the church, uh, the gift, their, their gifts of the Spirit. There are other supernatural abilities that are not listed here that I mentioned last week. For example, the interpretation of dreams. We, we see that in the Old Testament especially. You see it in the lives of Joseph and Daniel. You remember all those, those, those stories where they interpreted dreams? Well, that's not something they did on their own. That wasn't something that they had the ability to do. That was a gift. That was, you cannot do that outside of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, I, and I, I do believe still today in the interpretation of God-given dreams. Now, I don't believe in people that say, just tell me your dream and I'll give you the meaning. You know, just, you know, I, I, but, but God at times will give people the dreams. That's, we know that from Joel chapter 2, right? He said, your old men will dream dreams. So we, we know that <clears throat> he does that. And, and so there's going to be an interpretation of that dream. But, but it's just not listed there in, in 1 Corinthians. And so we made the point talking about that. Uh, maybe the list in 1 Corinthians 12 is not intended to be necessarily an exhaustive list of every gift of the Spirit. Um, uh, but things like, you know, interpretation of dreams, that might be, 
Maybe that falls under the category of a word of knowledge or a combination of word of knowledge and discernment of spirits, but, but it's just not there specifically. And, well, today we're, we're going to get a little more uh, into a little more of the detail of some of these particular gifts. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. This is the passage where it lists the, the, the nine gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we're going to just talk a little bit. And, and, and honestly, what we're going to talk is a little bit meandering because so many of these things just sort of intermingle together on the different gifts. And we'll get into that again a little bit. But let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, or some translations say the word of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to, to distinguish between spirits or discernment of spirits, to an, another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are like a ministry intern with Jesus of Nazareth. You know what I'm, in, you know, uh, pe students that are going to Bible college, they'll intern at a, at a church somewhere. Imagine you're a ministry intern and you're interning with Jesus of Nazareth and, and, and you're with him and you go with him to the, to the well at Sychar and, and there you encounter the woman at the well. And Jesus says to her, Give me something to drink. And you're listening to this. Uh, you're the intern standing there beside Jesus saying, and he says, give me something to drink. And she, she answers because she is uh, wounded racially, because the Samaritans are hated by the Jews. They were racially discriminated against uh, by the Jews. I mean, it, honestly, it would be like a, a white man pulling up to an African-American convenience store in South Alabama in 1929 and then pulling up and, to, and saying to the person sitting on the porch, can I please have a drink? And, and you can imagine the person sitting on that porch of that convenience store might say, hmm, well, there, there's a fine thing. You know, you won't let me eat in your restaurant. You, you won't let my kids go to your schools, but now you're thirsty. Now you need me. And so basically that's in essence what she says to Jesus. She says, in essence, she says, so you as a Jew won't have anything to do with, with us, and now you want to drink? And Jesus says to her, if, if you knew who it was that spoke to you, you would ask me for a drink. And she, she's, not, she's not buying into that. She doesn't go down easily. She says, yeah, show me your bucket. And this, I mean, this is not exactly how it reads, but this is what she says. She says, how are you going to get a drink? You don't have anything to draw water. And he says, I, I would give you water to drink that you would never have to ever come here again, that you'll never be thirsty again. And she begins to, to nibble a little bit at that, and she says, well, give me this water of which you speak. I, I'm interested in that. Well, watch what Jesus says. He says, in response to that, he says, woman, he says, go, woman, call your husband, and come back here. Now, as far as I can tell from, any, in, from my own personal research, and somebody before we're even uh, done tonight, you can probably Google it and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I can tell, this is the only place where Jesus relates to anybody through another person. 
through, through a side relationship, so to speak. Uh, usually he's saying something like, leave your father and mother, leave your family, talk to me, listen to me. This is you and me. You know, it's not anybody else. But now Jesus says, hey, uh, go call your husband. Now, suppose you had been there, that you're that intern, and, and you turn to Jesus at that moment, and you say, now, now, now why'd, you, why'd you say that? That just seems out of the blue, Jesus. Why'd you say that? Where are you heading with that? And, and, and you know, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of think that maybe he would have looked at you in that moment and said, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let's see how she answers and we'll go from there. Because you understand when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he said that he did nothing of his own power. Right? You remember when he said that? Which means that he ministered in this world in much the same way that you and I do through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what I believe is happening there is, is that these are, are an, is an example of the gifts of the Spirit in action in the life of Jesus, so to speak. So, uh, and I mean, I understand it's different. I mean, he is God, and so he has a, maybe a little different connection, whatever. But, but listen, if he wasn't fully man, then he, then he doesn't understand what we're going through. And so... So I think Jesus may have said, let's see how she answers. And, and, and my point to you is that Jesus lived in ministry all the time with, this, with, with two onboard unidirectional antenna pointing in opposite directions. One pointed heavenward, constantly receiving input from God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And the other antenna pointing humanward, constantly receiving human interaction. This is really a picture of where we live, or where we want, we should live. And he lived and ministered in that constant tension of dual messages. And if anybody cuts off the supernatural direction, then you live in bondage to the human. If you cut off the human message, then you live without any opportunity for ministry. So Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. And she says, this is a huge moment because she's, she's honest. She doesn't tell the whole truth, but she doesn't try to lie. She says, I, I have no husband. And, 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 and in that moment, I believe every light on, on Jesus' dashboard lit up. You know, he said, right you are. Right you are. When you say that you have no husband, you're telling the truth because you've had five husbands. And, and the man you're shacking up with right now is some guy to whom you're not married. Now, now, if you're that intern, you're standing there and you're seeing this, you, you may walk away saying, saying, Lord, what were you ministering in in that moment? Was it, was it the word of knowledge? Was it, is that the word of prophecy? Is it discernment of spirits? And I think the answer, like many times, might be yes. Because I believe, as I said last week, the gifts of the spirit seem to function in clusters. So... They're very hard to separate and say, well, this is exactly what word of knowledge is. This is what word of wisdom is. This is discernment of spirit because they're, the lines between them sort of blur and they often function together in different situations. And so that's why tonight we're not necessarily going to be going through a list and saying, oh, okay, here's this, 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 and this gift, and this is what it looks like, and this is what it does. But it's going to kind of weave in and out a little bit together because I think that's what, what, uh, how they actually work in, in real life. So, you know, the question that a lot of times we ask when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, we often just wonder, 
how do the gifts of the Spirit work? And we, as Americans, we are a nation of scientists. We want everything on a slide. You know, we, we, want to, we don't want to flow in the, in the gifts. We, we want to analyze the life out of them. We want to understand them. We've got to figure it all out. And so we just want to put them all on a slide and put them under a microscope. However, it's more like what I said last week, where if you, if you reach up and you grab a cluster of grapes that are hanging on a vine and you squeeze that and the juice begins to run down your arm, tell me that drop that drips off your elbow, which grape did that drop come from? I think that's a lot like the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. That the spirit begins to flow and you're like, okay, was it this? Was it that? And we want to try to understand and, and draw these lines and say, well, this is what it was. If this is what it was. And I don't think it necessarily is, is, it works that way. Because I think the, the gifts of the spirit function in the life of the believer uh, in that way most, most authentically. So uh, here, let, let me talk about it like this. We enter, just like Jesus, we enter into human circumstances, human situations, human reality around us. You do that every day. Every single day that you're alive, you move into human circumstances. We enter in as a human into the human input that, that we're receiving. However, as spirit-filled believers, the power of the supernatural is operating within us. And here's what I would say. Instead of worrying about which gift is quote-unquote ours, because that's what we do. Like, well, I've, I've got the gift of tongues. I've got the gift of interpretation. I've got this. I've got that. I think what really happens is we enter into the arena of human need, understanding that the supernatural power of God is operating within us and through us, and He knows what is needed at any precise moment. What, what does that mean? Well, we in the Pentecostal and charismatic world, you know, we, we want to plunk down our gift like a credit card. You know, Some, somebody's sick here. Oh, well, I'll pay tonight. Here's my MasterCard of healing. You know, we, that's how we kind of do it. But, but, but honestly, it, ta it, 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 it takes about it a, uh, a, a, a kind of arrogant uh, possessiveness. You know, people say, well, what gift do you have? Well, or do you have this gift? Do you have that or whatever? But, it, but in a sense, the, that very phrase is, is really a misstatement. Here's what I believe. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of, of the Spirit, if, the, if they really are of the Holy Spirit, actually, then all of the gifts of the Spirit could access you at any given moment as God wills. See, we, we tend to think of the gifts of the Spirit, we're accessing them, but that's not what it is. It's the Holy Spirit choosing. It says He wills, and He can access you and say, I'm going to use you to flow in this gift right now. Suppose somebody is sick, and, you, and, you, and you're walking around thinking, well, I have the gift of prophecy. I don't have the gift of healing. So somebody is sick, and, you, and the Holy Spirit may be, may be ready to use you. He may want to say, I want to do a miracle here, but then we, we don't do it because... We've got this idea in our mind that, well, I don't have that gift, so I'm not even going to try. And I think, I think we, we miss the opportunities of, for ministry oftentimes because we put God in a box. And not only that, we put ourselves in a box. 
And, and so, I, I, you know, I think, here's what I believe. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you have such and such a gift of the Spirit? I believe you can say this, even if you've never seen it before in your life. You can say, well, it has never manifested in me yet. But the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm in the Holy Spirit. So at any moment, it could happen. That's the reality of the gifts of the Spirit. At any moment, it could happen. Any of the gifts, because the gifts are, are gifts of the Spirit. And if you are filled with the Spirit, then He could choose to use you in any of the gifts as He decides. As He decides. The only thing that's up to us is to be open to it. And, have, and, and He talks about having faith in these circumstances. The faith is to believe, all right, I'm going to take a step out here because I hear I hear something, we're going to talk a little more about this. I hear something going on in my spirit, and I'm going to take a step and, and just actually take a risk, and I'm actually going to do something about what I believe God may want to do. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, another thing about the gifts of the spirit is that we need to understand that they don't sort of erupt volcanically, all, all at random, without a purpose. There's a purpose in the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are for ministry, and I, I, would, I might add, they're not for entertainment. Uh, and there are many people in the world that have turned the gifts of the Spirit into a show. That's not what they're for. Jesus manifested in the gifts of the Spirit toward people, uh, toward, toward uh, situations of grief or fear or loneliness or broke, brokenness or sinfulness. He always kind of seemed to move in with this grace. He, he moved in with this gentleness. Unless you were a Pharisee. There wasn't a lot of gentleness with the Pharisees, but that's a whole different story. But, but I want to suggest this to you. Learning from Jesus' example. Offer the gift to other people. But don't beat them over the head with the gifts. Offer them the gifts, but don't beat them over the head with them. Go in gently. Humbly offering what you sense God is saying to you and through you. And offer it. You know, I heard about a spirit-filled evangelist who went to preach at a church in Australia, and he, he told this story. The, the pastor of the church, when he got there, the pastor of the church said to him, you have your hands full tonight. And, of course, you know, if you're a guest speaker and you hear that, that's always like, whoa, what, what's going on? So he said, well, why? And the pastor said, well, two weeks ago, we had an, another American evangelist here, and he said in, in the middle of, uh, of the worship service, he he called a young man out in my congregation and he pointed at him and told him to stand up. And he said to him in front of everybody, the Lord has revealed to me that you have the spirit of homosexuality. Well, the pastor said he just, it just sent a shockwave through, through our church. Well, the, the boy denied it. And he said, I do, I do not have that. And instead of admitting he was wrong and saying, I miss, must, must have just misheard, he and just let it go. The evangelist who had made the accusation said, and now you're proving that you have a lying spirit. The pastor said, we had to escort that man to his car. He said, you're coming into that situation. And we've all seen that kind of abuse. And that is spiritual abuse. Listen, arrogance and pride and narcissistic egotism are the exact opposite of the gifts of the spirit. It's the opposite of the gifts of the spirit. Jesus you look at him. He did not walk up to that woman at the well and just randomly say, Whoa, I perceive that thou hast had five husbands. No, no. He gently entered into a moment of human encounter. 
And in that gentle conversation, he said, go call your husband. And he let the gifts of the Spirit flow in the moment. Didn't try to force anything. So, what does it sound like to hear the voice of God? What do the gifts of the Spirit feel like? For example, we'll talk about discernment of spirits. What does that feel like? I heard another preacher who was teaching about discernment of spirits, and he told a story about something that happened early in his ministry. This particular man and his wife had just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he was very, very young, and he was pastoring a little church. And, and, he was, and he and his wife lived in Parsonage right next to the door to the church, which I, I've lived in Parsonage right next to the church, and it can get very interesting at times because sometimes, I've never seen it here, thankfully, you know, we have, we have Pastor Jason and Barry Beth living next door in the Parsonage, but, but we, you know, we don't have this, but I've seen churches where people from the church show up and just walk in because they're like, the church owns it, it's not your house, <laughs> you know, it's like... Woo, you know, it's a different thing, but it's always interesting. But anyway, he was living there, and this, this story is not about that, but he, they were living there, and, uh, and early one evening, he was already at home and in the parsonage when this lady called and, and said that she was in trouble and, and needed counseling. And so he told the lady, he said, well, I'm here at the parsonage. My wife is here with me, uh, but, but I could spend half an hour with you if you could just come right now to the parsonage. So she came to the house. And she came to the, to the side door of the house. There was a door by the driveway and then the front door. She came to the door by the drive through, drive, not the drive through, the driveway. Um, and, uh, and so she comes through the side door of the house in the kitchen. And he introduced her, the, the lady, to his wife and, and his wife to the lady. And, and she came in. She was just a, a very reputable looking lady, older than the young preacher. He was in his 20s. She was probably in her 40s. She, she was a nice-looking lady, but there was nothing unusual looking about her. And, uh, and they were in the kitchen. There was this swinging door that, that led from the kitchen into the living room, you know, one of those that just goes, that, that swings in and out. And, and, and he said to her, to the lady, he said, let's go in the living room. He said, uh, there's, you know, uh, he's all, he was always, as many pastors are, is very wise, cautious about uh, counseling with, uh, with a woman by himself and so he said, you know, I'm, uh, there, there's a, all there is between us and my wife will be the swinging door, so it'll be all right. And, and the lady said, fine, and she went on in. And as the pastor started going through the door, the wife quickly called his name and called him back, and he went back into the kitchen where his wife went, was, and she looked at him and she said, I urge you, I urge you, don't meet with that lady alone. I have to cook supper. The baby's hungry. I can't do it, but call one of your elders and ask him to meet, you with, meet with you and that lady. And, you know, like, like a lot of husbands, we, we need to listen, learn to listen to our wives. Can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> so, so anyway, he, he said, oh, there's, there's nothing between us, but there's just a swinging door there. Or you're right here. What in the world could go wrong? Never ask a question you don't want answered. Well, anyway, he went on in, and he sat down with a lady, and as soon as he sat down, he asked, now, how can I help you? Well, she opened her mouth, and out of her mouth came a river of profanity such as you have never heard. I mean, absolute vulgarity. Not all, not all of it sexual, but some of it was, and it was just obscenities that just poured out of her, and he just sort of like, excuse me, um, he said, my wife is extremely helpful in these kinds of situations. I'll be right back. 
So he, he got up and he went through the swinging door. And as he got into the kitchen, his wife was already wiping her hands on a dish towel. And she said, I'm coming. You know, and, uh, and they, they went in back through the swinging door. And as they were coming through the door, the lady was going out the front door. And she went out her front door and then got in her car. And they never saw her again. And, but anyway, all that to say, he looked, afterwards he looked at his wife and he said, what was that? He, he said, how did you know that? I mean, she looked normal. She looked fine. She looked reputable. How, how did you feel that? She he said she wasn't dressed in any kind of sensuous way or anything. She looked like a very nice lady. What, what was that? And, and his wife looked at him and she said, when she walked in the door, I just knew I didn't want this in my house. Now, I don't know how to describe that to you fully. And I'm not even sure that a person who, for example, is used and often used in the discernment of spirits can describe it because it's hard to understand, but it's hard to describe. But I don't know how to explain what it's like when, when the gifts of the spirit begin to flow. But, but I would say this. Don't ignore those moments where seemingly random thoughts come into your mind. It's not always God. That's not what I'm saying. But just don't ignore them. But don't, don't ignore those kinds of things. Don't blow it off. Don't just say, oh, it's just a hunch. Oh, I don't need to worry about that. Because sometimes it may be the Lord speaking to you. I mean, can't we in those moments just, just say, you know what? I sense the Lord at the, in this moment and say it gently. You can, you can even approach the situation gently. You, know, you, listen, you don't have to get all crazy when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the spirits are not... To make you crazy, they're to make you useful. You know, there, there's, there is no gift of craziness in any of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, you know, there, there, it's just not an anointing available for us, okay? So, so listen, just, just pay attention. Uh, I can't tell you how, how it feels. You have to learn to sort through it. You have to learn through experience how the voice of God comes to you. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the longer and more often you let the Spirit flow through through your life, the easier it becomes to recognize that voice. doesn't mean you'll be infallible. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, uh, but Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And you'll learn to recognize his voice over time. I, 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 I'm just, I'm just uh, there's a story I'd like to tell, but just for the sake of time, I don't know that I can tell you. But, but uh, uh, let's just say this. Let me put it, illustrate it like this. If, whoever, I'm trying to think of a name. Who, who, what's, the, what's, the, what's the lady running for governor here? Sarah, Sarah. Sarah Huckabee, yes. Or not, well, Huckabee Sanders. It used to be Huckabee. If she called me up and said, hey, Dave, I want to talk to you. I'd be like, uh, okay, uh, who, who is this? Right? But when Julie called, now this is, doesn't matter now because we all have caller ID. But if Julie called me on a phone without caller ID, and I pick it up and she says, hey, I know instantly. Right? It's because over the years I've had experience and I recognize her voice. I know how she says things. I know the tone of her voice. I know... You know, even the inflection of her voice. And then, in fact, often I'll even know in that moment if she's in a happy mood right then or if I should be worried because I might be in trouble over something. You know, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's, I, but, you know, or, or if she's had a bad day. You just, you know instantly. 
That's the way it is with the voice of God and the voice of the Spirit is that the, the, the more you, the key I believe is you get into the Word. The more you get into the Word and the more you walk with Him, the more quickly you recognize those nudgings and say, I think that was God. So, so um, listen carefully. Pay attention. Uh, a, a, a word of knowledge is, is something that God has shown me at times in the past. But, but here, here, and I kind of alluded to this, the, the problem is you don't always know when you're right. And that's why we have to approach it humbly and tenderly and gently. For, for example... Say you're in an airport somewhere and there's a man sitting across the gateway from you and, and there's something inside of you that just says suddenly that man is in serious trouble and he needs help. Now, in that moment, look, you, you don't stand up and, you know, in the middle of the airport and march across there screaming, God has revealed to me that you are in trouble, sir. No, that's the way, that's how you wind up in jail, Right. What you do is you get up and you go over and you sit down beside that man and say, hey, hey, friend, I, I, I don't want to mess with you or anything. And I hope this doesn't freak you out. But I was just sitting over there and I felt like somehow the Lord said to me, why don't you go over and offer to pray with that man? Is there anything I can pray with you about? And listen, I've had over the years, I've had people who don't even believe in God, who apparently believe in prayer in moments like that, because I've had people who say there is no God. And when I offer to pray for them, they let me. I mean, go figure. To whom are we praying? <laughs> you know, um, nevertheless, they're, they're perfectly happy for me to pray. So, so you offer and you see if they nibble. Now, if they look at you and say, get away from me, just say, fine, I'm, I'm sorry, no problem. Didn't mean to offend. Just remember, they're not rejecting you. It's not personal. They're rejecting a gift of the Spirit. They're rejecting an opportunity to have God minister to them. So you say, say, great, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I won't bother you at all. I apologize. The thing is, you, you won't always know if you're right or wrong. That's why it's a step of faith. If you know, then there's no faith. Right? Now, maybe the one exception to that is when the gift of faith, which you talked about last week, because that's just when you just know somehow the Lord helps you just to know. But um, I heard Dr. Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland tell a story that's fitting here. And I've, I shared this story before, and I know I share a lot of Dr. Rutland stories, but I, I listen to him and I read his stuff, and he, you know, he just has, he's just a great storyteller, and he has a lot of great stories. But I've shared this before. I want to share it again because it's such a good illustration, and and frankly, many of you weren't here the last time I shared it uh, when I taught on this subject. So, um, uh, Dr. Rutland, he, he was preaching at a uh, revival some years ago, and he was doing a morning Bible study session at the church. As, as, and as he, as he began teaching, he noticed a lady that was sitting there. And as he was, just before he started, he's, he saw her and he said, Ma'am, before, before we begin the teaching, I just feel like the Lord has spoken to me and to my heart, and, and that, that I should pray with you about your daughter. And she looked at him really, really funny. And she said, I don't have a daughter. And what's funny, he tells a story. He said, he said, I was an idiot, and I started to argue with her. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, well, okay, well, maybe it's a spiritual daughter, you know, and he goes through all these things. And anyway, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But he finally eventually just prayed with her and went on, taught, went ahead and taught the class. And then he drove back home to his house and he told his wife all about it. And he, and he just said to her, oh, it was just so humiliating. It was so humiliating. And, 
And she looked at him with great wisdom and she said, Mark, you just, you just don't know the situation. Leave it with the Lord. Well, he drove back that, that evening for the evening service and he got there a little early and, and, and the pastor was out in the parking lot when he pulled in and the pastor said, Dr. Mark, you need to come into my house right now. And he said, guess who's in my house? And Dr. Rutland said, who? He said, that, that lady that you called out for prayer this morning in the Bible study, she's, at my, she's inside my house. And Dr. Rutland, like many of us, he said, oh no, did she bring a lawyer with her? You know, and, and, he's, and the pastor just said, just please come in right now. And so Dr. Went in, Dr. Rutland went in and, and that lady said, I had to come back. She said, I've never been to this church before, but, but when I was driving past, I saw the sign that you were having evening revival services and morning Bible studies. And I, I just came in to see if God could heal me. When, and he, she said, when you asked if you could pray with me about my daughter, and I said that I don't have a daughter, I, I wasn't lying. She said, I don't have a daughter because 10 years ago today, the reason I came in today, I need healing for this. 10 years ago today, my teenage daughter took a, her father's shotgun and blew her brains out. She said, when you asked to pray with me about my daughter, it so blew my mind that I just said, I don't have a daughter. They were able to minister to her. So here's the thing. You just don't know. There's so many things you don't know. You, you can be right. You can be wrong. All you can do is try to be obedient and trust. Friend, I, I, I just need to tell you, you, you don't always know what's happening. You, but if, if in that situation, if you get all arrogant and, and presumptuous and, and, and self-absorbed, I'm just here to tell you, it'll go south very, very quickly. And you can kill the moment that God is trying to create. Offer the gift. Offer the gift, but don't hit people over the head with it. Let's look at, at prophecy. What is a word of prophecy? First, I think you start by asking, what is prophecy? I, I believe that, that much of the time, there, there are different ways that I believe it plays out. I think mo much of the time when, it, when a pastor is preaching, it has about it a prophetic edge. And, you know, we think of prophetic uh, anointing like it's, you know, Jeremiah throwing lightning bolts at people or something. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that moment in a sermon where it just has that impact where where you realize, man, that hit me. That 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 is truth. That's and that's a prophetic moment. However, it can be it can be other things. Prophecy. You know, we think of it. Prophecy is telling the future. It can be that. But it, but that doesn't have to be telling the future. Prophecy is speaking the truth of God in a particular context. Therefore, it doesn't always have to be from the pulpit, and it doesn't always have to be in a Sunday morning worship service. It, it can be in any setting. It can be in any situation. It, it can even be in casual conversation. There, there are times I believe people speak prophetically, and, and they don't even realize it. Because a thought will drop in their mind and they'll say it and they don't even, they don't even recognize that, that it was the Holy Spirit that gave them that, that, that statement to say. I think that happens at times. There, it, but it can be just a normal conversation. I, 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 I heard a story about this, this seminary student who was pastoring a church as he was going to school. And uh, there was a man in his church who was very, very limited intellectually. Um, deeply limited intellectually, but, but, but he and 
uh, the pastor and this man, the seminary student and this man loved each other very deeply. And he would often take his friends with him when he would go to different events. Well, that student, along with a couple of other seminary students, his friends that were going to school with him, they were, they were decided they were going to go listen to a certain speaker. And they'd heard about him, but they had never heard him speak. So they decided they were going to go hear him speak. He was in the area. And he decided to take his friend with him, the one who had this limited intellectual ability. And uh, so as they were, as, uh, they got there, and when they heard this guy speak, he said, he said it was the most confused rambling, non-biblical, absurd le lecture you've ever heard in your life. And so afterward, they're traveling home. You've got these, th these three seminary students and this uh, other man in the car riding along the car. And, you know, the seminary students are trying to be intellectual and deal with it, you know, in a nice way or whatever. They're just talking about it, saying things like, oh, well, that, that was challenging. And that really stretched my mind, all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the intellectually man, uh, challenged man spoke up and he said, that man is lost. And the seminary student said, you know, if I've ever heard of word of prophecy in my whole life, that was it. He said, he said, boys, that man is lost. So what I'm trying to say to you is that the word of prophecy is that moment where God just speaks into a situation. And it doesn't have to be flamboyant or, or extravagant. In fact, I think it, it rarely is. I, I think because... Because it, it takes away from its authenticity when it's, when it's done in weird, weird ways. And I've known people to do that, you know. That I, and I know God used them in, in the gifts of the Spirit. But, but all of a sudden, you know, they'd be getting ready, to say, <laughs> getting ready to say something that the Lord would say to them. And all of a sudden, they'd be just talking normally. And then, then, then they, and all of a sudden, it'd be like, Ooh, <sighs> It's like, what, what, what happened, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't have to be that. I don't think it should be that way. Um, uh, the, the word of wisdom is, is much the same way. Wisdom is, is the application of knowledge, but the word of wisdom transcends any particular body of knowledge that you have. It's wisdom that you can't figure out from your own knowledge. It's often very, very down to earth. Um, th this is generally a mature crowd, we'll put it that way. Uh, how many of you remember the Andy Griffith Show? I still love watching the uh, reruns of the old Andy Griffith Show. I, I love that show. But there's, this, and almost every show, that you, you've seen this many, many times if you've watched Andy Griffith. You've, those, there's that moment that comes when there's, you know, goofy Barney Fife. Love Barney. Cracks me up. But, but there'll be this moment where he and Andy are trying to figure something out, some issue, some problem. And, and they're talking about it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Andy, Andy will say something like, Barney? That's a great idea. And Barney would say, it, it was? <laughs> what did I say? You know, and then he's like, oh, uh, yeah, it was a great idea. You know, you, you, uh, that moment. Well, I have found often the word of wisdom often functions, sort of sounds a lot like that. You're, you're at a board meeting or you're, or you're trying to figure out a certain thing or you're dealing with uh, something in a counseling session. And then, then all of a sudden somebody says something and, and then everybody else says, whoa, that, that was what we needed to hear. And a lot of times the person that just said it just can't, can't even think of what he said. They're like, what? What did I say? You know, it, 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 that kind of lends to its authenticity. Now, what happens, and I've kind of been, like I said, I'm keep circling back to some of these things, and I've alluded to this. What happens, and this is the tragedy, uh, what often happens is that we turn the gifts of the Spirit into showmanship. 
We don't want to just move in the gifts of the Spirit. We in the lives of uh, that are that are in need around us. We 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 and you've seen people like this want to make it about us, and we want to turn it into a show. Listen, let me, I'm just going to say some things, and if this bothers you, you can talk to me about it later, or you can just ignore it. But listen, if God gives you a word of prophecy, say on a Sunday morning service, can I just say this? You don't have to change your voice. voice. You, you don't have to change your voice. You, you can give it like in your regular voice. You, don't, you don't, don't add anything to it. You don't have to tidy it up. You don't have to make it sound spiritual. Your, your voice doesn't have to quiver. Now, if it does and, you know, that's natural, that's fine. I'm just saying you don't have to make it sound that way. You don't have to shake. You don't have to put on any whipped cream on it because it's good enough. What God says, his word is good enough. I don't need to make it better. So you could, you, you could say it like this. You know, maybe, maybe in a worship setting you wouldn't say it exactly with these words. But you, you might say something, especially in conversation. You might say, excuse me, I, it just seems to me like the Lord is saying that I should say this. And then you say it, and then you're done. You sit down, and you, you, you just finished. I, I know one guy, he was a professor of mine in southeastern and uh, he was uh, often frequently powerfully used in different gifts of the spirit uh, dr mike mark uh, mike rakes and uh, uh, what he would say often he would, god would give him word of knowledge in bookstores and airports you know these different places and it was just phenomenal how god would use him but he would often look at the people and this is how he would approach it remember we're talking about being humble and gentle and and making sure that the spotlight's on Jesus not on us and he would approach them and he'd say listen I and I love this and I've used this line since I've heard him talk, teach on this he said I think I may have just had a God thought but I'm only human so if I'm wrong just ignore what I say but if it is a God thought then maybe it's going to mean something to you and then he'd go ahead and say it and, uh, and he told stories of people that would just break down weeping uh, as, as, you know, in, in public places where it was doing, where, where it was going on. But, but you don't, you just, we just don't have to do those things. And, and if you try to make a show of it, there may be, it may be that God actually wants to speak a word to a person or a situation or in church. It may be something he wants said there, but then nobody can hear it because your flesh is in the way. Because they can't get past what you've added to it, and then they miss what God was trying to say. So, so we have to be gentle with the gifts and gentle with each other, moving graciously, uh, gently, and humbly with the gifts. Don't, don't try to lord it over people. Don't try to make it showy. Don't try to make it show, you know, how, spirit, how spiritual you are. <laughs> All right. All right, now I want to talk a little bit about the gifts, gifts of tongues, plural, gifts of tongues, because it's, it talks about various different kinds, plural, different kinds of tongues. Now, I, I, listen, I don't know why this one has come to be the one that we all want to choose up teams and play Red Rover over. You know, uh, why did this become the one over which we'll put tribal marks on and fight? I, I don't know. Different kinds of tongues. So, let me talk about 
uh, at least, I think I've got four. <laughs> That's how short my memory is. I, I typed this today and I can't remember how memory. I think I've got four. I want to give you four different ways that, I've, that I find that I see scripture and in, in practicality, tongues being used. First of all, there is the impartation of tongues that one receives at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues at the time when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is a way that, that people speak in tongues. When they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. It's, it's the gift of tongues as the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say something here about that word, the initial evidence. For whom and to whom is it evidence? Listen, it is evidence to you and for you. You don't have to show me evidence that you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The, the gift of tongues is evidence to you. It's as if God is saying to you, okay, I want you to believe this, so here, re receive this gift. The evidence is for you. We, we have tended to turn it into sort of like a Pentecostal green card, but, but you don't have to show me evidence that you're a citizen of Pentecost nation. All right? It's not evidence for me. The evidence is for the one who speaks in tongues. All right? Now, there, there's another kind of tongues, and that is, and this is what he refers to here, uh, tongues with interpretation in a public setting of worship. Now, I believe all of these are included here, actually, because he says different kinds, and he uses plural. Uh, now, Paul is very, very clear about this. He says that this uh, tongues and interpretation and prophecy, all of these things, he says... In, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says all of these are supposed to be done decently and it's supposed to be done in order. Uh, a, word, a word in tongues with the interpretation should be given in a way that does not disrupt what God is doing or draw attention to any person besides Jesus. And he says there, that there, there, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says there should be two or three, uh, no more than two or three in any given service. And he said to wait if there's nobody there that can interpret because he makes the point that you are not out of control. He says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So anybody that says, I had to do it, I had no control. Well, as we said last week, that would mean that the gifts of the spirit are working outside of the fruit of the spirit because one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And the gifts of the spirit are not going to function outside of the fruit of the spirit. Does that make sense? I, I know, as illustrate this, I know of a man who was preaching at a Christian university and one night in the, in the middle of his sermon, a young man stood up in the balcony and he just began speaking in tongues, right in the middle of his sermon. The preacher thought that somebody on the platform at that Christian university would, would help him because they're the ones that are in charge, the ones in authority in the business, and, but nobody said anything. So he had the microphone in his hands. So he just said to the young man, and, and he said it firmly, but... But, but not in a mean way. He just said, sit down, sit down, son. You're, you're out of order. And, and the young man argued with him. He said, I, but I, I have a word from the Lord. And the preacher said, uh, no, you, you don't. And the young man said, well, how, how do you know, how do you, how do you know that, I, that I don't? And he said, because I do. And he, why would he interrupt me to give you one? 
And so the young man sat down, and the next morning when the preacher came back for the morning service, the, the president of the university looked at him and he said, I don't know what you thought you were speaking about this morning, but I'll tell you what you're going to speak about. He said, you, you turned this campus upside down over that thing last night. So he said, you're going you're gonna to deal with it this morning. And of course, now the truth was, the president of the university was the one, one that was in authority. He should have been the one who told the young man, sit down and be quiet, because even if he had a word from the Lord, he could have waited. That's all that Paul is saying. You don't have to blurt it out in that, in that moment. Your spirit is subject uh, to, your, to your, you have, it is under subjection to you. That's the better way to say it. And so you can say it or not say it. You can wait to say it. And he may have had a word from the Lord, but he should have waited until it was a proper moment to do it. Because God's not going to interrupt himself. To say what he wants to say. So, all right. So it's supposed to be done decently in order, and, and we don't have to get all crazy about it. That's a common theme tonight. Then there, there's another kind still, and, and that's just praying in tongues. Paul writes about praying in tongues as, as being important in his own devotional life. He said, He said, I thank God that I, I pray, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Actually, uh, you look at some translations, it proves that Paul was a southerner because his because I think he probably said, I pray in tongues more than y'all. Um, but uh, all y'all, yeah, then you're really from the South, right? But, uh, you know, he's, he, but he said, I pray with my mind, I pray with my spirit, I pray with my understanding, I pray in the spirit. So, so, so praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, that's in your own prayer closet. You know, Oral Roberts, um, he, he used to suggest something. I think it's a very good suggestion. But he said, why don't you pray in tongues for a while and then switch to your native language. Pray in tongues, pray in your own language. Pray in tongues, pray in your own language. And he said, that way you actually may begin to sense where the Spirit is leading you to pray. You may actually be able to follow the Spirit as, as He directs you. So that's the one. But then, then there's another gift of tongues that you don't often hear of, and I think it's, it's, it's um, the most rare but that is, it's the actual impartation of a specific earthly language. And now, now that can take a couple of forms. One, one is the temporary gift of language where you, you may not even know you're speaking a specific language. You know, and that, that you may temporarily speak in a language, but it's for somebody else in the room and you don't even receive the language per permanently. Um, uh, Jack Hayford tells a tremendous story about this. I don't have time to tell the story. We just don't have time for a lot of these things. But he tells a story about sitting on an airplane next to a man and, uh, who had given up on God and given up on church. And, and the Lord kept telling him, speak in tongues to him. And Jack Hayford was like, what? I, no, I'm, no, I'm not going to speak in tongues to this man. And he kept telling him over and over and over to do it. And eventually he did. And when he spoke, it was different than his normal prayer language. You know, you know what your, your prayer language sounds like. And, and he said, do you recognize that? Well, it turns out this man, uh, had, uh, he had some ancestry and had done some study, and it was an ancient Indian tongue that was actually extinct, and, and it was speaking to him a very specific message. Jack Hayford didn't know that language. It wasn't imparted to him permanently, but that's an instance of that temporary usage. And you hear stories like that from time to time. You know, I've heard stories of people giving a message in tongues uh, in, a, in a church service, and then afterwards, somebody came up to say, hey, where did you learn to speak Japanese? And they're like, what are you talking about? 
you know. And so that, that kind of thing does happen. That's one way. But then, then there's a second way, and this is extremely uncommon, but it is, it is real. And that is the impartation of a specific earthly language uh, uh, where someone receives a foreign language. They receive it, they speak it, they understand it, and it becomes a gift to them. Th this is a, a real thing. Um, again, I keep going back and telling you these stories, but this happened to Dr. Rutland. He, he was given the gift of Spanish in a worship service in Mexico. He wasn't praying for it, wasn't seeking it, wasn't asking for it. Make a long story short, there was just no interpreter. They, they had one lined up, couldn't make it. There was nobody there to, to, to interpret for him. And he actually got up at the beginning of service. He was supposed to preach, and he decided that the Mexican pastor was going to preach. But he got up there and he said, I know one line in Spanish, and it was to greet the people. So he got up there and he said the one line in Spanish to greet the people, and all of a sudden another line came to his mind. And then he, and he spoke that, that line in Spanish. And he ended up preaching the whole sermon in Spanish. He didn't speak Spanish. In fact, his father-in-law, who was a non-believer, who had gone with him on this missions trip, just out of curiosity, was sitting on the back row. And in the middle of the sermon, as he's preaching this sermon in Spanish, the, his father-in-law says, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm preaching in Spanish. And his father-in-law but said, but you don't speak Spanish. He said, I know. <laughs> And, and his father-in-law got saved that night. So it, 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 it does happen, and, and it's, it's exceedingly rare. Now, now, the thing about that is people have told him he, that his Spanish is excellent, but it's not perfect. And some people would say, well, if, his, if God gave him his Spanish, wouldn't his Spanish be perfect? But let me explain that to you this way, because maybe this will help you with some other issues. Uh, have you ever heard somebody give a word of prophecy in a church service on a Sunday morning sometime and they had bad grammar? You, you ever heard that? And, and, you know, using that line of reasoning, you'd be tempted to say, apparently God doesn't understand the rules of grammar. No, the giver is perfect. The gift is perfect. But the receivers are broken. So, so God gives a limited intellect, a human being, the gift of a foreign language. Does it, does it seem that it might be that the limitations of the receiver might make it less than perfect? The gift is perfect. The language is perfect. The receiver is not perfect. Th then there is the interpretation of tongues. And we're, we're really running out of time. I might have to stop and pick it up uh, uh, next week. But uh, many people struggle with this one because... We understand interpretation of tongues to mean translation. Let, let, me, let me illustrate what I'm talking about with a, a story. Again, Dr. Rutland, I know you're like, but, but he has some excellent teaching on the gifts, and, and it's a ma major resource that I have used. So his stories, some of them are like, man, wow, I've got to use that one. And th this is another one. But you may or may not know, and this is, this is something that uh, he's talked about many, many times, but... When he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he was a Methodist preacher. He had no experience in Pentecost. In fact, he had preached against the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues many times in his ministry. Uh, but, but he had never, ever heard anybody speak in tongues. In fact, he says, he will tell you that the very first person he ever heard speaking in tongues was himself. 
He prayed in tongues when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that was an evidence to himself because, you know, as I said, the evidence is for you. Well, he needed that to convince him that something actually happened. Nevertheless, he had, he had never heard it in public. Well, soon after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was invited to preach at a Congregational Holiness Church in South Georgia. He had never before been in a Pentecostal church in his life, and he got invited to preach. Well, as he, as he was driving down there to preach, it came t- into his mind as clearly, he said, as clearly as, as, as you can hear my voice right now, this, this came into his mind and said, tonight someone is going to give a, a declaration in tongues. Somebody is going to speak in tongues, and I want you to give the interpretation. And he said, uh, n- no, um, I, I'd like to at least hear that once before I try to do it. Can I just hear it once? And he argued with the Lord all the way there. Anybody here ever argue with the Lord? Anybody here ever won one of those arguments? <laughs> no, no, you haven't. So anyway, he, he was in such a sweat by the time he preached. But, but then he preached. Nothing happened the whole service. And he, he preached, but he couldn't concentrate on the sermon because he was worrying about this thing happening. And he got all finished, and the pastor thanked him. And, and at that time, he finally was thinking to himself, Oh, I'm out. I've dodged it. The Lord has had mercy on me. And, and the pastor said, let's stand for the closing prayer. And, and a little fat man stepped out into the center aisle and raised his hand up. And Dr. Rutland said, he was, he was thinking to himself, oh God, stop him, stop him, stop him. Somebody stop him. Well, that man raised his hand up and he began to speak in tongues. And that was the only other person besides himself that Dr. Rutland had ever heard speak in tongues. He'd never heard it in public before. Well, that man spoke, and it seemed to Dr. Rutland that, that he spoke for five hours. It was probably only 20 seconds, but it just seemed to him like it was just going on and on and on and on and on. And he was listening to this, and he was thinking to himself, I am not getting a word of this. Because he thought he was supposed to translate, like, buongiorno, good morning. You know, and he thought it was, he was supposed to understand it word for word because he was thinking translation. And he got nothing. Well, the man, the man finished and Dr. Rutland thought, Lord, you didn't give it to me. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't do what you didn't give to me. Somebody else can do it. Well, that little congregational holiness preacher, he said, we believe whenever there's a real message in tongues, there's an interpretation. He said, so we'll just wait. <laughs> Dr. Rutland was like, you got to be kidding me. And they waited and waited and waited. Finally, Dr. Rutland realized that they were going to be all there all night because of a, one disobedient Methodist in a holiness church. And he said, Lord, I'm trying to do this. Help me. He said, it just, it, he, it just came into his mind. Lord God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, we worship and adore you. That's all he heard. So he said, oh, okay, I, I, I've never... Said to the congregation, I've never seen this before and I'm probably doing this wrong. But when he was speaking in tongues, it came to me, Lord God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, we worship and adore you. And when he said that, the next part came. Then the next. Then the next. Afterward, it was very, very quiet. The pastor stood up and said, thank you, brother Rutland, let's, let's have a closing prayer. And they left. And they drove along after the service in the car and it was, it was very quiet and Dr. Rutland finally spoke up and he said, Pastor, I, I did that wrong, didn't I? I, I, just, I just did that wrong tonight. I've never seen it before. 
And the pastor said, no, 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 it, it, it's, it's not that it was wrong. He said, I've just never seen it like that before. And Dr. Rutland said, what was it? What do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, when that man was speaking in tongues, then you gave the interpretation, but he said, but it wasn't to us. He said, my whole life in Pentecost, anytime anyone gave the interpretation of tongues, it was a message to us. He said, that was all to God. Dr. Rutland said, you, you know, Pastor, the, the problem here is that I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church, and I didn't know that. He said, I, I didn't have anything to go on except Scripture. He said, the, in the Bible it says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks to God. So it seemed to me that if he was speaking to God, then the interpretation would, would be to God. Well, here's what I've come to believe, and you can take this for whatever it's worth. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. This is not a salvation issue. This is not a heaven and hell issue. So, so just take what I'm about to say for whatever it's worth. I think that the gift of tongues and interpretations, that is it, it functions in our modern day in Pentecostal churches. There's it, it, really a couple of scenarios that it plays out. I think the most common one is that we, we have been so steeped in our Pentecostal traditions, which, you know, we as Pentecostals, we like, we have no traditions. Oh, yeah, yes, we do. We have plenty of traditions, and the longer you exist, the more traditions you'll have. So we, uh, we have built up these habits and traditions over decades, and I, I think that sometimes... And you can take this or leave it. I think that sometimes when the Spirit of God begins to stir and begins to move in a worship service and we, we begin to realize God wants to speak to the people of the congregation through one of these the supernatural communication gifts of the Spirit. And so we sense that. And then, then now because of our tradition, because of the way it's always been, we often think that we're supposed to wait until there's a message in tongues before we can say what God wants to say. And I think that God in his mercy and in his, in his eternal patience often allows us to have that message in tongues and then he goes ahead and, and gives us a word of prophecy. I think that happens a lot in Pentecostal churches. Part of it is that uh, you, know, it's, you have to have faith. It's, it takes more faith to speak up in just with a word of prophecy you know, rather than waiting to hear. Because when somebody gives a message in tongues, then everybody's like, oh, well, that was pretty supernatural. So the next thing probably will be too. But when somebody just begins to speak a word of prophecy, now you don't have that little marker beforehand. And it takes a little more courage, a little more faith to step out and just give a word of prophecy. Because, because God still does that. He, and we've seen that here in this body. Um, and, and, but, but we do know that a word of prophecy is when God speaks to us. And I think that often what we call a message in tongues interpretation of tongues is actually a word of prophecy that God wanted to give the church. However, because we didn't have the faith or the courage to speak out before there was something spoken in tongues, he allows that in order to get his message to us. Now, can God speak to us through tongues and interpretation? Yes, absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. I think he does that, and I'm not about to limit God. But I am saying that there is another level. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, desire spiritual gifts, but he said, especially prophecy. There's something about that because prophecy, he said, builds up the entire body. What I'm saying is just simply this, is sometimes what we think is a message in tongues and interpretation is really prophecy. 
And I would love to see us grow personally, each of us, to the point where if God wants to use us in the, in the gift of a word of prophecy, that we would, we would grow to that point and we would take that step of faith. Now, here's the thing. What if, what if you speak up and you say something you think is from God and it's not from Him? So, did you hurt anything? I mean, only if you spoke up. Like one time I had one girl in a service when I was in youth ministry. I was leading the worship time in our main service and, and a girl sp stood up in the back of the church and she started off real nice, you know, and, you know, just saying, um, and it, was, it sounded good, you know, starts talking to the church. But then all of a sudden she starts scolding the church and, and starts saying things like, like uh, I used to look up to you, but you have let me down. I'm like, hmm, I don't think that's the Lord. Uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, but I don't think he ever looked up to me. And, and so, you know, I had, we had, I had to say, okay, all right. And, and I think actually that was after a, a message in tongues, and that was supposedly the interpretation. And afterwards, you know, I mean, I, we kind of gently kind of shut that down and then just said, I really do think we do have a, an interpretation that needs to come. So we waited, and there was one. But um, where was I going with that? I don't even know anymore. Uh, but, but anyway, I, I just, I just want to say that, you know, uh, uh, it's about growth. It's about realizing that God can use you in these different areas. And, and I want to add to that, that I think that often the gift of tongues and that interpretation of tongues, and this is something we don't see, but I think it is really real, that is often actually a prayer of worship. It's a prayer of adoration directed toward God. And if it were interpreted in that way, that prayer of worship would inspire deep and meaningful worship in the hearts of other people. And I've heard that happen in other places. I've heard that happen where, and I think actually, honestly, I think sometimes it happens even in our own prayer lives. Because we, we pray something in tongues and then afterwards, we pray this, this in English, we'll, in our own native language, we begin to pray something where we're worshiping God. Who knows, but maybe you're interpreting what you just said. Because we do know that generally speaking, and now I do believe that he can speak to us through a message in tongues and interpretation, but generally the Bible says that he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks to, man, to, speaks to God. So I think that that happens, and we, we just need to be open. That's all I'm saying, be open, and, and because God may want to do something through you, and so just something to think about and chew, chew about, chew, chew about, chew on. So just listen to what I mean, not what I say, okay? Um, so we're going to close. Uh, all that may be, be what it may. Uh, I'm just saying to you tonight that the, one of the things I want you to get is that the gifts of the Spirit are not weird, they're not wonky. You don't, they don't have to make you act crazy or sound goofy. You don't have to tidy it up. But they're like every other thing in the Christian experience. They are to be done with humility and with grace and in light of our own humanity. And if it goes wrong, let me just suggest to you why it went wrong. You, not God. <laughs> but, but when it goes wrong... It doesn't invalidate your place in the universe. It doesn't mean that somehow you are, you're, you're messed up or that you're not spiritual. 
And listen, here, here's what I tell people all the time. I would rather have you as the people of God make a mistake trying to be obedient in, in, the, in the function of the gifts of the Spirit than to ignore the voice of God and, and therefore make it harder and harder to hear His voice. Because it's, you know what, listen, there have been times I have said to people, listen, I think maybe I had a God thought and I'd say it and they're like, mm, I don't know, I don't get that. Well, you know what, I'll just say, well, I'm sorry, then I, it was, must have just been me. You just humble yourself and walk on and say, okay, Lord, I'll learn from that. But, but, but maybe the next time it will be him. So if you're going to make a mistake, it's better to be making a mistake on the side of obedience and trying to grow in the Lord than make a mistake on the side of fear and pulling back. Does that make sense? But next week, I want to talk about how these gifts work in your everyday life. Uh, how do these gifts work in your office? What about in your family? Uh, how do the gifts of the Spirit function outside of church? What happens? What, why are they useful to a carpenter who goes to work with a bunch of other carpenters? What could the gifts of the Spirit do in that situation? We're going to talk about that next week. God can do whatever He wants to do because God is God. Uh, but I want to say this, and we'll close with this, just reinforcing a lot of what we've talked about. It, it has been my experience personally and my studied observation scripturally that God manif manifests himself supernaturally, purposefully in the body of Christ. But I am not attracted to, and in fact, I distance myself from random phenomenology. You know, the statue in the Catholic Church that bleeds blood from his eyes. Or, or you know, it's not just... Catholics that do that, you know, gold dust falling from the ceiling in a worship service. I just stay back from a lot of that stuff. If it's not in the scripture, I don't care. I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to chase after those kind of things. I believe God wants to manifest himself in reality in the body of Christ and through us and to each other uh, in gentleness and in grace and humility. I don't want to chase around after something, after, you know, somebody that sees Jesus' face in a light bulb. You know, how, how would that help me? How would that help anybody? Sometimes in our interest in the spirit and in the supernatural power of God, we can chase some really weird stuff. God, God is a supernatural God. And, and listen, if God's trying to water the garden, I don't want to be one with my foot on the hose. But, but I'm just saying that I don't want to chase around going after weird things. I just want to seek Jesus. And I, I want to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to witness and to manifest himself through me in the kind of giftedness that might heal a lonely, used-up woman by a well who's been through five disastrous marriages and is now living in adultery. Those are the gifts I want. Make a difference in real life. That's what I want for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for these precious people, and I thank you that they've come in their hunger to, to seek you and to seek a word from you. And I just pray, God, that you would make it real in our hearts and help us, God, to seek your face, to seek Jesus, to, to seek gifts, as Paul said, Lord God, but to do it not so that it will make much of us, but God, we want to make much of Jesus. 
I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just, I pray, health and, and, and protection and blessing over these people. And I just pray that you would bring us back together Sunday morning for a powerful time of worship together. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.